Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you. And rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to Drafting the Circus on the Hoobazoo Radio Network. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as uh, we go through everything racing. Uh, before we get to that, let me introduce you to the panel I have tonight uh, with me in the studio. Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing, Mr. Christopher DeHardy from Motorsports Tribune, Joey Barnes from IndyCar.com. Richard Uden, race engineer, and Seth Eggert, NASCAR correspondent over there at Motorsports Tribune. How is everybody tonight? Doing good. Fantastic. Great to have you guys on here. Um, I'm sorry I'm feeling a little under the weather tonight, so I'm going to leave it to you all to do most of the talk tonight. But um, all three uh, major racing series were in action this weekend. Our winners were Kyle Busch in NASCAR, Joseph Newgarden in IndyCar, and Sebastian Vettel in Formula One. All three races had a common theme other than the lack of passing, uh, but that was pit stop problems. And we've seen pit stop problems in Formula One uh, in both races uh, with the Haas team, uh, you know, in the, in the season opener and uh, with uh, Ferrari team this week. Uh, we saw an IndyCar, Matthias Laced, uh, let out of the pit stall, short a tire. Um, the spun and almost uh, knocked an official over. The poor guy had to leap over the wall. And then we had uh, Kevin Harvick with the flying lug nuts and a number of infractions. So, uh, guys, let's talk about these pit stops. Um, are we trying? Are we trying to make pit stops too fast this day and age? I know Richard, you and I talked about this with the Formula One with the technology um, telling the guy when to go rather than a human being. So, uh, open up for discussion. Pit stops. What do we need to do differently? You know, it's it's everybody's trying to to affect a pit stop as fast as possible in in in, in majorities. I mean, the easiest cars you'll pass all night long you know, are, are going to be on pit road standing still. So basically, you can gain and you're trying to gain time. We've we've seen some issues in Formula One, uh, you know, through through all the series. I think we've had some uh, just some miscues on. Uh, uh, at every level. NASCAR has had some issues with new uh, guns. We've talked about this 
on, on previous shows, uh, assess something that the uh, owners wanted. They wanted to control the cost of pit equipment, and they asked for this. And uh, these are, are NASCAR-issued guns. They've had some problems with those breaking. But some of the things we saw at, um, at, um, in the NASCAR race were brought about by the change in strategy. They, they've also, NASCAR has also reduced the number of uh, men going over the wall by one. So it's changed the, the, the way teams choreograph their pit stops. Some of the things we saw were uncontrolled tires and uh, lug nuts flying around. These are things that, that commonly happen and have always happened and, 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 and been uh, penalties. It just was magnified this weekend because of who, who, had, the, who had the issues. And obviously Harvick was, 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 uh, you know, was one of the uh, dominant cars during the race, and, and, he, and he had those issues. IndyCar had, had a few issues. I think some of IndyCar's uh, issues, and, and, and Joey and, and Christopher can, can talk about this in a minute, but was the, uh, was the concrete pits out there, and some of the cars were sliding coming into the pits. Uh, I know Bourdais, when he, he, I think he pitted from the lead and uh, had an issue. He hit his guy coming in. And it just his whole pit stop went, you know, went to hell in a handbasket, and he never could recover uh, from that. Uh, and, and a few others had had some issues. I think, think the, you know, the one guy had the tire tire come off. These are just miscues that uh, that that will happen from time to time. It just so happens we saw a saw a rash of them this weekend, and of course we had Raikkonen, you know, with the with the. Uh, I, the pit stop problem he had, and they, they, in fact, that tire was never even changed. And I think basically, was he ever fined uh, for uh, unsafe release? The Did team was fifty thousand. Yeah. What was that? The team was fifty thousand pounds, I think. Yeah. So I mean, you know, it, it's part of the sport. You know, anytime you've got cars coming down pit road, you know, there's an opportunity for mistakes, and and that's part of it. Yes, that's why you know it it, it is a team sport. You know, and everybody's got to do their job, and and from time to time you're going to have have uh, have some problems. I mean, I don't think it's you know it, you know it's it's an epidemic or anything that's 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 going on. I think just we just happen to see three races this weekend where uh, where you know we we had a rash of it. Now, Richard, you and I have talked about the um, Formula One with all the technology with the where the computer tells you when to release the driver rather than you know the human being. And uh, we saw that um, with the Haas team last week. We saw it with Ferrari this week. Um, and there was a crewman injured on Ferrari there. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, is it time to just say maybe we're, maybe we're not ready for this yet? Maybe we still need that human touch there to, to say, yes, everything is safe to release? Uh, it's, it's a difficult concept because you, Formula 1 especially is one of those series where you're not going to see um, – Excuse me, like you do in NASCAR, where they have a you know, standard gun or standardizer, they're going to keep pushing. I mean, you even see in Formula E now they've reduced the length of time, you know, they reduced the mandatory pit stop length. So when they swap cars in the past, it's been a minimum of thirty seconds. So the you know they're not rushing the guys to do seat belts up and get out the cars quickly. So. Uh, I think you've got to keep, especially in Formula One anyway, you've got to keep that concept of uh, of pushing the boundaries and pushing the limits because that's what makes it so spectacular. Uh, I mean, I think it's one of the things in a way we're seeing 
maybe um, the rise of IndyCar and the fall of NASCAR a little bit. I was thinking about this earlier today. You know, IndyCar is spectacular to watch because of the speed and the, you know, the speed of change and the speed these vehicles move at, whereas NASCAR is becoming quite sort of sedate in many ways. It's difficult to understand the speed of the cars on these big ovals. So you've got to keep pushing boundaries of the sport. And uh, it is a very, very difficult situation, but um, it, it, it is difficult. You know, do, do you, you're putting guys at danger. You know, you've seen in NASCAR... Uh, Chris Bush's Jackman got injured recently, and you've seen in in Formula One uh, the injury to uh, to Kimi's uh, tire changes. So you, you've got to, uh, you know, you almost do you self-regulate? Do you turn around to the teams and say, "Hey, look, you do what you need to do to make this safe." It's a very difficult concept. Yeah, it's a very difficult concept, and it's. So it didn't answer. It didn't answer the question at all. There, sorry. <laughs> oh, that's well, okay. You know, you don't have to necessarily answer the question, but uh, yeah. now, now, Seth, you've got some comments about penalties uh, from the pit road, and and I mean, are 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 penalties the answer? Well, I'm not saying that penalties are the answer, but uh, going a little bit with what Richard was saying, that it's all difficult. Uh, not only is it difficult the pit stop in general, but sometimes the resulting penalties are and whether or not there should be a penalty. For example, Harvick got several. Ryan Blaney got one for one that uh, Harvick late in the race had a very similar incident, and Harvick didn't get a penalty. To a certain point, they can be balls and strikes, alluding to stick and ball sports, but at the same time, there has to be a little bit of consistently, and in this case, I'm talking about NASCAR, but it does go a, a little bit to IndyCar and Formula One that the safety aspect and whether or not people are just moving too quickly for some of these incidents, uh, maybe. Now, Joey, the these these loose tires in IndyCar are actually rather rare compared to. Uh, what we see in NASCAR, and it, it, it used to be rare in Formula One, but uh, lately there's been more and more. But we saw a couple of uh, pit lane miscues uh, in the IndyCar race at Phoenix, and I know, and I, and I know you were there. Um, this thing with Matthias Leist, where he uh, then proceeded to spin the car around on pit road, nearly taking an official out. Uh, and then, of course, the Bourdais thing. So, um, I mean, is everything... Good and well in Indy, in IndyCar, this is just maybe an anomaly uh, because for for the most part we see pretty soft lean pit stops in IndyCar. Um, you know, in contrast to uh, you know back in the '80s where their pit fires were um, a problem as as well as a few other things there and running over pit houses. Yeah, I mean the thing with Bourdais and Rossi because they both happened on around the time that they both pitted on lap 43. Um, I mean, both were coming into the pits. It was under yellow, so it's a pretty relaxed pit in and pit out. But, uh, yeah, the transition, like what Gray said, coming off of the asphalt onto the concrete, I mean, they were both doing maybe five miles an hour. And that thing just, yeah, words of words of uh, Bourdais here without the expletive is just the fact that he he was going five miles an hour and, and the car wouldn't stop. It's uh, like ice. Yeah, so he, he ended up clipping his, his left front tire changer, um, which fortunately everything ended up okay on that end uh, health-wise. Um, and he just never was able to fully recover from that, regardless of how fast the car was, and ended up finishing, I think, 13th. So, 
Um, that transition, it was interesting because it's something we hadn't really seen, and I, I didn't know if that was a byproduct. He said he didn't really scrub the tires. He didn't have the presence of mind to really look and, and swerve to try to knock off the marbles that they pick up. Since he's the leader, he's usually the first one to pick up any debris. So that was unfortunate uh, on that. Uh, you know, the Hoosiers from the previous uh, race, because USAC Silvercrowns run out there, um, I don't know if that maybe played a part in it. Um, I mean, that first first part of that race, I mean, you could pick up just about everything out there. So uh, with the Mateus thing, I think that was just the fact that the guy thought he had it on there. Another guy thought it was safe to release, um, and that was a human judgment call. And um, well, the, guy the, the guy at the left rear was waving not to go. He was, he yeah. was letting them know he had a problem with the wheel nut. And, yeah, um, and 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 he just it just happens. I mean, we just, we see it happen in 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 uh, stock car racing. It's happened several times to Kyle Busch once in the truck and once in the Cup car recently, where the tire changer had an issue getting the wheel on, and for whatever reason, the guy that that initiates the the car to leave pit road didn't see it or, or wasn't aware of it, and they released the car. Yeah, I mean, and the thing with Mateus, um, you know, I think from that standpoint, A, he's a rookie. That's only a second-ever IndyCar race, so I think it's a miscommunication of signals there because you've also got to come into the fact that he didn't have to pit in Indy Lights or in Junior Formula over in Europe, so, you know, in British F3 and things like that. So this situation is really uncommon for him, so to maybe as a cross of signals, what have you, but, yeah, whenever he whipped the car around, it was incredibly unsafe, and... IndyCar ended up addressing it with a monetary fine. That's I know everybody's got opinions on that, considering that Bourdais and them had a drive-through um, under Green and versus Mateus just getting the uh, the monetary fine at the end, and that's that's for other people to dispute. But I I tell you this, the th- I think it's a little bit of an anomaly when to answer the question um, about it being commonplace uh, with IndyCar, but. It's more more common on short ovals and places like that because there is so much pressure because these cars are literally destroying a, a one mile track in nineteen mm-hmm. seconds. So um, versus that of what a driver can make up on a street or road course, you can put more of that in the driver's hands. Where this one, it's a lane and a half track, and you're really going to get everything you can on pit in and pit out, and so. And then the pickers are going to try to get that extra tenth of a second on their competition, and that's where these things happen. That's right, and the, and the drivers charge pit road too, you know, yep. in, in these things. And I tell you, it's it's not uncommon these 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 tracks that have been redone and repaved over the years. One of the trends that started a few years back was to concrete pit road because pit roads were taking a beating. Well, these cars have tremendous horsepower and a lot of torque, and they were tearing up the asphalt. You know, in pit road, especially you know, particularly in in hot weather and things like that. So that a lot of the tracks, you know, a few years ago, redid their pit areas and pit roads and put in the concrete pads. The Cup cars have have problems from time to time with the same issue coming into pit road and not and not being able to stop. One of the things that the uh, pit crews have done in NASCAR over the years to try to combat some of that is they'll they'll take and mix up Coke syrup. And spray on 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 the surface of pit road in their pit to kind of give it a tack, and that serves two purposes. It gives the pit crew members traction 
you know, when they're going over over the pit wall, gives them grip on their shoes and also gives them grip, you know, gives the, the cars grip coming in. So that's one of the things that, uh, that, that some of the teams use to come. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. About that. Yeah, and the, the last thing out of me on this pit road thing with IndyCar is, you know, typically at, in Phoenix, it stays, you know, obviously it's pretty warm already out there. It's like 93 degrees, 94 degrees during the day. It's not overly windy during the day, but about, you know, 5 o'clock, about the time the USAC race is, is well over, and we're getting ready for pre-race festivities for the IndyCar race for the evening, the wind really starts to pick up in the evening. And you run into a situation, especially with the location out there, where you get a bunch of sand and just grit that just comes on that track and brushes on the surface. And so I think, you know, to Gray's point, yeah, if we, for for pit lane specifically, if there was more presence of mind to do something to kind of sticky that up for the interchange from asphalt to concrete, I think we'd have, less guys sliding through their pit at the same time you know that's part of the reason why the racing product itself sometimes can be tricky because you can practice all you want uh on a you know on a friday night getting ready for the race it's always tricky because you've got a blend of who's your tire rubber out there when you normally run firestone and you've also got all that wind that's kicking up the sand bringing it on the track surface and those are things that you know, even if you go and, and put out a, a jet dryer or whatever to try to blow everything off, you know, I mean, half the time the wind's still blowing, so you've got that stuff still coming back on the track from somewhere as soon as, as soon as that truck leaves. So, um, yeah, I, I think that especially at places like Phoenix, uh, windy, dusty places, you're going to have those happen more often than not, and that's why we don't see them necessarily at a place like Indianapolis as much. Good stuff, Joey. So let's, uh, let's get into this um, Texas race. Um, you know, by, by a lot of accounts, it was, bits of it were quite dull. Uh, it was hard to pass. Uh, you know, a couple of drivers said the, the problem was the arrow. And I know they're working on a new arrow for, um, for the next, uh, for, for, for the next bigger track. And we could talk about it a little bit, but, uh, uh, you know, we had a seven car pile up there with, um, I believe I know Kostlowski was involved as well as uh, Jimmy Johnson, um, Denny Hamlin, Denny Hamlin. I think Denny Hamlin. Is the one that, yeah, I think Denny Hamlin is the one that first kind of initiated the contact. So, uh, but at the end of the day, it was Kyle Busch uh, locking himself a spot in the chase. Uh, Harvick, who's been pretty darn good all year long, was a factor most of the day. But uh, Gray, let's uh, let's break down his Texas race a little bit. Well, you know, it, it is just like we talked about almost in our preview last week. We 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 all assumed that it would be the Stuart Haas cars and the and the Joe Gibbs cars 
being dominant, and that's basically what what it what it boiled down to. Kyle Busch, who had finished, I think, second in, in three pre, in three of the previous six races, he just wasn't going to be denied this weekend. I think he 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 late in the race, he he, he found his stride. The the team, you know, uh, gave him a car that that he could uh, that he could lead with, and and that's what he did. Harvick had a strong car as well, and and was was. Uh, you know, was able to recover from some of the miscues he had, and and was able to to make a run uh, at, at Bush. But I don't think he had the car uh, on this particular day to to, to best uh, Kyle Bush on. Uh, one of the things that uh, you know we we were, we were thinking we were going to see a, a good strong run from the seventy eight. Uh, he he was uh, he had some trouble, uh, blew a tire, and uh, hit the fence. I think we saw some we we saw a rash of tire failure. Uh, out there, I don't know whether uh, you know. It, I haven't heard, haven't heard much talk whether it, it was. Uh, they're thinking it was just a, t- uh, a tire issue, or the or the teams themselves were were stretching the boundaries on camber. So we'll we'll kind of see how that goes. Uh, we'll a little bit more when some of the races talked about. Uh, you know, from the teams are debrief later in the week, but. Um, that that ended up. I mean, I thought it was a. I thought it was a, a pretty pretty decent race. It was a typical mile and a half race. You're gonna not not a whole lot of side by side racing. Not a, not a great deal of lead changes. And I think too. Again, we talk about Arrow, and that's where Arrow really really shows up is on these mile and a halfs. And you know, NASCAR can do all these things they wanted to want to do to try to you know uh, reduce it. But the, but at the same token, and Richard will back me up on this. These teams work day and night to counter what NASCAR does, and I don't care. And that's just the nature of the beast. You, you you're not going to be able to take that part out of it unless you just you know NASCAR shows up with with the cars and they put a driver in a random car to to go out there, and, that, and we know that's not going to happen. Careful what you say. Careful. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're liable to be some supplying cars one day, but no, really, Rich, Richard knows what I'm talking about. You know, oh, yeah. NASCAR will come out with these rules and say, "Okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to reduce downforce in these areas." And the, I mean, in in, in a, a month's time, with these guys going to the wind tunnel uh, day in and day out, they're going to figure ways out and around it, and they're gonna they're gonna recover a good portion of that downforce and arrow uh, that NASCAR is trying to take away. So you're always going to see that. I, you know, I, it, it's and we'll get into this a little bit later, you know, talking about the rules package you're going to run or going to experiment with at the All-Star Race and see what that does. And I give NASCAR credit. They're trying to do something. But, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a catch-22. It's like a dog chasing its tail. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. now, Seth, I'll roll around to you in a second. But now, yeah. now, Greg, you said, like, they're, towards the end of the race, uh, Harvick just couldn't couldn't get the best of Kyle Busch, but, uh, you know, by some accounts, and I, I really haven't looked at the scoring, um, Harvick was actually running faster laps than Kyle. Um, but he couldn't. But he just, he just couldn't. He just couldn't get himself in a position to uh, get behind him and draft and make that work. He finished, he probably finished, what, about a, about a, a second or so behind him. I mean, he, he was, he was, he, he maintained that distance. But he just couldn't couldn't get up get up there and, and, and catch him. And that says a lot. I mean, 
Kyle Busch has been right there too. I mean, he he's had a good car and, and been very competitive for whatever reason. He's 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 not he's not been able to pull it off, and he and he was this weekend. And you know, and who's to say what would have happened if the seventy eight had not had his issues? Um, you know, I think. And, you know, yeah, and, and and who's to say if the four was ahead of the eighteen? If it wouldn't have been the same thing, we just couldn't get very it. true, very yeah, true so. in, in clean air. That, that that means a lot. So yeah, but we we did see a different winner, but we saw the the same cast of characters at the at the front of the field. So uh, you know, uh, I think uh, a, a lot of teams have got to do some work. I think the Chevrolets still have got work to do. One interesting fact that that came from the uh, uh, from this weekend's race. NASCAR took uh, cars from each manufacturer, uh, confiscated cars uh, uh, post-race, and was going to take them to the wind tunnel to evaluate the cars. So they want to see what what you know if everybody's on uh, you know what the what the playing field looks like. So uh, you know NASCAR's continually working on stuff to try to try to try, try to make it uh, uh, to enforce parity, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that parity is always the best thing, but I no, it's yeah, just not. I, I'd love to see uh, you know one car be able to actually get up there and pass one. But Seth, let me bring you into the conversation because I know I know you're sitting here chomping at the bit to add um, add add your thoughts on this race. So Seth, the floor is yours, young man. Well, as I was about to say, uh, Gray, you kind of stole my thunder. The cars that were taken to the wind tunnel were the the four of Kevin Harvick, the twenty two of Logano. <laughs> The nine of Chase Elliott, who received a penalty today. Uh, the number one, Jamie McMurray. The 18 of Kyle Busch. And the 20 of Eric Jones. The penalty for uh, Chase Elliott deals with the rear windshield. And the rear windshield brace uh, was not rigid. They took 20 points uh, and a $50,000 fine. And his crew chief, Alan Gustafson has been suspended for the next two races. This is the same penalty that Kevin Harvick had after winning Vegas, although Harvick won that race. Uh, Essentially, teams are still trying to get away with the rear window race. And there were also photos, again, online on Reddit, of some teams even manipulating the front windshield. Yep. So... And now there weren't any penalties as far as the front windshield, uh, but it still goes to show that teams are looking, as Gray said, trying to outmaneuver NASCAR, trying to take back what NASCAR is taking away. It's the nature of the business. It's always been that way, and it will and it'll always be that way as long as you've got independent teams bringing their stuff to the racetrack each and every week. They're going to try to gain the edge of the competition. It's, 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 it's part of NASCAR. It's always been that way, and it'll always be that way. You, and you cannot close every loophole. And I tell this story. Years ago when I started in this sport, the rule book was like a pamphlet, you know, that came out. It probably had 80 pages <laughs> in it, you know. And part of that was race procedure and, and, and things like that. And that that's back in the early late 70s, early 80s. As a I was going to say, was it, uh, it wasn't written in hieroglyphics, was it, Greg? No, it was written in, it was written in plain English <laughs> and had a lot of gray So that's how he knows what emojis are like. Right. It's very, <laughs> it, it, it's very nebulous. But, but, but the thing now, and Richard will tell you, 
Now the rule book is so, now they don't even print the damn thing. No. It's, it's an electronic rule book that's, that's done on, that you have to go online to look up. And it's volumes, it volumes is. of it's it. Very, and here's an interesting fact. I believe, now this is, don't, don't quote me on this one, that uh, each team you can request a, a login for a, a user to, to view this information. And NASCAR can monitor which rules you look at. Mm-hmm. So they can uh, supposedly work out what particular rules people are looking at, and then I can guess they can. The idea is that they can strategically uh, inspect cars. If one particular team has been looking at truck arm mounts, for example, well, then and, and potential that they can right. uh, they can look at the, the truck arm mounts from that particular team. Supposedly, I don't know if that is. Really well, I, will, I will say this, and, and and I used to have a rule book at my desk. Every year, and I use that because I'm in procurement. So I would use that rule book as, as as a guide when I was buying something for the for the cars and 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 things like that. Now I can't even get my hands on them and no. can't even get logged in to the system. So if I have a question about a part, I have to I have to go to someone in in either in engineering or or, or someone on a higher pay grade than myself to, 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 to get that information from. And that's, you know, that, that's just the way that, you know, it's really gotten overly complicated and uh, it's a mess. That's, that's all I sure. can say. I mean, part of the reason why I think we run into the situation, though, where teams are getting hit with penalties and why teams are, yeah, they've always tried it to, to the whole cheating process and try to find the loopholes and things like that. And there's that saying that if you're not cheating, you're not trying. But I think with this system that NASCAR's written in place with the playoff format, you've really allowed for a situation where, I mean, Kevin Harvick, for instance, you know, he won that race earlier in the year uh, at Atlanta, passed with flying colors, goes to the next race, wins it, but then fails inspection. So they take away, you know, that win. Well, so what? He's already qualified because of what he did the week before. So really, you just have to do this one time to get yeah. in. Yeah, exactly. And so people are going to be doing this, saying, "Well, hey, maybe I won't get caught this time." You can do that sixteen times, and if you're only if you caught fifteen, well, you still succeeded because the, right. the, the end game is to get into the playoffs in the first place for the first twenty six. And so. that's and that's the mentality. That's the way it's always been. You you come up with your your trick and you use that trick until you're busted. And if you're busted, okay, so what? I may have won five races with that trick previous. Hey, it paid off. You, you know what but, I'm saying? And you just like you're saying, same with, you know, you run the trick, you get in, you get in the chase, bang, you've, you've accomplished what you needed to do. Yeah, but you hit on something that, that was pretty key in what you said a minute ago was the fact that it's become too overcomplicated. And that's, I think, not to go on a tangent here like what we typically do whenever we talk about things that are wrong and things that are right, but um, I think that that's one of those issues that everybody always has these questions, you know, and, and you know, why is NASCAR on a slump and why is IndyCar on a rise or why is IndyCar, F1 still the globally most watched motorsport whenever people win by five seconds? The, the fact is, is that it's a simplified product. Even F1, as complicating as it can be, in many ways, it's still a simpler product than NASCAR. You know, so. and it is it is to a degree, but 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 it still boils down to for the average fan sitting there, it's still a simple race. The 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 the, the, 
the not for the novice fans simplest. NASCAR has long had very involved fans in in their sport. Uh, I'm talking about the old guard fans, which which is fewer and fewer of those now. They understood the sport. They understood all these things, and that's where the that's where you're alienating that group, the the people that 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 delve into the depth of the sport and understood it. When it got to, when it gets complicated for them, that's when it that's when it hurts you. And I think I think that you know it used to be a simple deal, and and you know, cheating was accepted in the sport, even by the fans, the old guard fans. They knew it was going on, and you didn't hear people when somebody was caught. It was like kind of tongue in cheek, you know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, he got caught, you know. But they, you know, it's it's like you know, they, it's like one group of fans living in a glass house. They weren't going to throw stones because they knew that their their group was doing something too. So I mean, this the other group got caught. But another thing you got to understand too is particularly in NASCAR, it pleases itself to a degree because that's how NASCAR gets on to some of these things that are going on because. Other teams see it and they rat on them, and it opens up the whole ball of wax. Um, I, I just wish NASCAR could find a happy, a, a set of rules, a happy medium, and just let the guys. You know how they started that have at it a few years ago when they let the guys rough house on the track. I think they've got to come up with something where they can let let's 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 put some of the ingenuity and the creativity, you know, back in back in the sport. And. Go ahead, Seth. And, and I was going to say, and to speak of the ingenuity, the creativity, and even changes, uh, the All-Star Race later on this year will have a different aero package for the first time. It will use the same aero package that the Xfinity Series last year used at Indianapolis Moore Speedway, which it will include restrictor plates. And that'll be interesting to see. I mean, that was that was actually a pretty good race, the uh, Xfinity race. At, uh, will will at it a, include green tires? No, not this year. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, um, we're going to need to move on here off of NASCAR, uh, unless uh, let's do our picks and move on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about. We're going to Bristol. We're moving from a mile and a half track at uh, Texas to. Uh, one of the shortest tracks on the speedway or on, on the schedule, Bristol. Seth, you're going to go to Bristol, so I'm going to let you pick first. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with Brad Keselowski. All right. I like that pick a lot. Uh, Gray, you got the next pick? I'm going to stick in the Stuart Haas camp, and I'm going to say um, I'm, I'm wavering between uh, – Kurt Busch and Clint Boyer, but I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna say Kurt Busch. He, he's he's gonna find victory lane. There you go, Christopher. You've been kind of quiet. Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch. Joey. Um, I'll go Kislowski. All right, and then Richard. Truex. Truex at uh, Bristol. Okay, that's good. That's yep. good. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with. Uh, Joey Logano, just for S's and G's. I don't know why. So, but uh, IndyCar was at Phoenix this past weekend. Uh, Joey, you were there. Uh, Christopher, you covered it closely as well. Um, Seth points out Truex has never won it on a short track, mm-hmm. so uh, that's you know, nevers are always meant to be. Uh, 
<laughs> dispense with. So, uh, speaking of short track, Phoenix is a short track for the IndyCar series, although it's a speedway for NASCAR. So, um, the the race itself, there was a lot of build up to us to it. We were looking for um, the the new package uh, that it would allow for some passing, but uh, it turned out um, by by a lot of accounts that uh, uh, the racing was rather dull, um, rather processional. Uh, they couldn't work in that second groove that they tried to, despite getting out the tire drags and whatnot. Although we did have a, a damn exciting finish between um, Joseph Garden, last year's champion, and Robert Wickens, who looks to be the next big star of the sport. So uh, I'll start with you, Joey. Um, give me some thoughts from Phoenix, and then we'll throw it to you, Chris. Well, um, I guess first on that would be talking about second groove and this and that and the other before getting to the race. Uh, one of the things, yeah, they, they had the tire dragging out. They used Firestone tires for the tire dragging, unlike Texas in the past, who you had used Goodyear's. But uh, Graham Rahal and a lot of other guys talked about needing to get that second groove in and trying to dedicate part of the second practice, uh, which was at night, to try to get that second groove in. Midway through the second practice, though, it started to just, you know, run like kind of a symphony where everybody was just staying about a lane to a lane and a half up. Nobody would really give it an honest try and, and lose the handling of things. And you can understand why. That's your only night practice. Uh, you know, the, the first practice in terms of what some of the guys said was a throwaway because it's in the middle of the day. And the speeds were so dramatic. It was like a 12-mile-an-hour gap. Um, guys have proposed that, like Will Power proposed setting cones out there. I think Chris was telling me about that, setting cones out there in the bottom lane and making sure they have to run the, the high lane. Uh, some guys were saying, hey, for those that want to take the risk of, of going up there, maybe IndyCar, if they do it for f- the final 15 minutes of practice, maybe IndyCar should get them another set of tires. So they're trying to find a solution for that second groove at Phoenix. Here's my thing. It's an ISC track. ISC and NASCAR attached to the hip because essentially they're the same thing. And you've got a track that was remodeled for NASCAR. So you combine all those things, and IndyCar's running on it. I think that this show that we saw the other night, I didn't actually think it was a bad show. Uh, I know you talked about a lack of passing, but I saw Alexander Rossi have the right package and just, I mean, he made 53 passes on the night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everybody that wasn't named Alexander Rossi had a tough time. Yeah, Rossi was on fire. Yeah, and but that's the thing, is like talking to guys like Bourdais, um, you know, and, and Ryan Hunter A, it's about this package allows you a little bit more leadway, but it also proves that when you're on it and you absolutely nail the setup, you're going to be the guy to beat that day. And Rossi, for all intents and purposes, outside of that era on pit road, he probably would have walked away with this one. Um, that all said, I don't really see how this is any different maybe than some of the races at Phoenix in the past, way back in the 90s. I, I think back, this is the since it's fitting that this was the Mario Andretti 25th celebration here of his last win. I mean, Paul Tracy had a two-lap lead in that race. So it's hard to hear the people criticize the pack passing product um, whenever, whenever, honestly, like, it's about setting things up. But guys are able to let off going into one. They're sliding coming off of four. And, I mean, if you got out of the lane, yeah, you found the wall. And I understand... There should be maybe a little bit more, but this was definitely a step in the right direction because this was our first real test on a short oval, on an oval period, in race conditions with this package. So 
but I don't see how it's any different than some some of the things that were happening back in the '90s when guys have a two lap lead on the competition, and the only way that thing became a race was because Tracy wrecked out. So yeah, yeah but you know what? I think it's the good old days. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, think, I, I, I think a lot of it. We we look back and we long for the for the for the good old days, and I think we were more. It was about who was in the race more so than the race itself. And some of those races were, were, were dominated by one car even back then. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think we, we do the same thing in NASCAR. We look back, oh, well, we did this back in the 90s. And, but really, basically, really, when you look at the total thing, it, 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 racing today is more competitive, actually, with you've got more quality cars in each field. I'm talking IndyCar and NASCAR than you've ever had. It's just... You know, I think we look at it through a different prism sometimes. But uh, you're right. I didn't think the race was a was, was was a total disaster. I thought it was a compelling race. I enjoyed enjoyed for the most part and had a great finish. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the the cool thing I loved about this race is, you know, usually we get to road and street courses and we got guys short pitting and and trying to also play the long game at times. And so somewhere towards the end, we find them meet in the middle, right? And in this situation, we had guys like Hunter Ray who would short pit and gamble and hope to goodness there wasn't a yellow that takes them out of the race, and but try to make up that lap time because there was a huge gap in lap time. You could make some serious headway with this kind of package and these kind of tires and the amount of degradation. So everything that you could hope to have from a strategical standpoint, from a racing standpoint, I thought was there. I mean, in the end, we had to, I guess, go into the race. You know, caution comes out. Dude, Ed Jones crashing on 229. We restart at 243, seven to go, and we got Wickens and and Hinchcliffe, two guys from Smith Peterson, right there on the front row on old tires. I don't know why they didn't split the strategy, but that's just my opinion. Um, and then you had Rossi, who clashed with Wickens, starting right behind him, um, or, or in third rather, um, pretty close behind. And you had fresh tires, Joseph Newgarden, right there. Um, who was kind of flying under the radar for the first two weeks of the two races of the season in fourth. And we had Wickens trying to do like what they do at Indianapolis, where they dip down to turn three to take out that inside line to keep a guy at bay. He's dipping down on the inside line coming off of four, trying to keep him at bay on the on the entry to one. And, and break up his air, too. Yeah, and, and break up his air. And Newgarden just pulled off just a brilliant hell of a pass. Um, and you're going to do that on fresh rubber. Yeah. But... And that's the thing. We got a chance to see something that wasn't follow the leader. We got to see a breakup in strategy. And a lo- the reason that allowed uh, that battle is because we had a blend of tire degradation and track position. And it's which one do you value more at the end? And, I mean, yeah, so for my money, when I look at all those things, those are the things I love about Formula One. When I look at the pit in and the pit out and the strategy that's at play and, and just how somebody baits somebody like Vettel did with Australia. Um, you know, those kind of things are fun to me. So I, I personally enjoyed this race quite a bit. I it race you know, reminded me of the of the IndyCar race at Iowa several years ago when uh, when Ryan Hunter Ray did the same thing. He uh, they, he pitted for fresh tires, and I think they restarted with nine laps to go, and he drove through the drove through the field to win the race. And Newgarden was second, and they both beat Canon that day. Yeah, that was that was a hell of a hell of a finish. Yeah, but but okay. You know, in the big picture, like, I enjoyed the race, you enjoyed the race, Christopher enjoyed the race, Gray, you enjoyed the race, okay? You and I understand this, okay? 
we're looking to draw a new fans to the thing, right? And I think that some people are like comparing this to uh, what you would see in the 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 early two thousands IRL races at uh, on one one point five miles that you see at Kentucky or Chicago and whatnot, where where there were you know three or four wide with the, the pack races and whatnot. And uh, just passively, you know, and then these incredibly close finishes, and you know that that era is over. Um, well, but, I mean, but 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 this era screams back to, like you said, the you know the '90s, which nobody minded it then. But um, I mean, is this truly a way to draw new race fans into it? Because you and I understand the strategy, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean can it be done? I, can it be done with? Um, you know, better television commentary, better whatnot. How do we how do we draw that new fan to the sport, um, especially young people who are so so into just the excitement? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll say this is that last year, obviously, we looked at the grandstands and we we you know you kind of shrug and you're like, oh, that's that's not exactly what we wanted to see at Phoenix. And then you see the show and you're like, I feel like the show could have been really improved and. So now we got this package out, and I got to be honest. Like, of course, we always want more fans out there, but it was still more fans this year than what we had seen last year. And I mean, let's be honest. Tracks like Phoenix, there's a couple of things that come to mind here, and that's one is, and I hate to always say this, but it usually comes back to this, is the activation that they can do. And when I go to Phoenix, I see like one billboard about IndyCar, but when I go there for NASCAR. They're all over the place. And so, yep. and and the other end of this is that they're still suffering from the split. And the second that that split happened, because Phoenix was a heavy part of that, uh, go compare what, the, what it was in the cart days, the attendance there, and then compare it what it was in the IRL days. See those two and see how they're different. I don't know if all that's due to activation. I wasn't around in those days. I just look with what I see on my, with my eyes. But... The second that that split happened, NASCAR is there to because let's be honest, it's when it's a seesaw, right? Like when, <laughs> when one when one organization really starts to catch fire, the other ones usually having issues, and that's because either there's a fluctuation of people and movement and vision, and those things change, and that's why we're seeing NASCAR and IndyCar go in two different directions right now. NASCAR pounced at the right time 25, 30 years ago, and now we're seeing IndyCar start to pounce at the right time currently. But to, to, to amplify what you're talking about, there's still got to be better promotion for for IndyCar in the in the areas. And I I read Robin Miller's uh, article on, on uh, Phoenix, and he was talking about you know same, alluded to the same thing you did on billboards and the money that goes into it. Somehow, some way, IndyCar has got to come up with a plan that that will help these track operators promote the, the races when they come to their area. They, uh, I'm sure they do what they think is, what they think is adequate, but it, it, it ultimately proves to be inadequate. Yeah, I mean, I just hope that it's a situation, and like I said, I can't speak for this because I'm not in the meeting rooms. I don't know how this goes. Um, I'm merely a, a freelance writer, so but whenever I'm... When I see IndyCar at an ISE base track, there's always in the back of my mind how much help are they going to get? Because at the end of the day, ISC has NASCAR's best interest. 
because ISC is essentially NASCAR. It's a France family thing, yeah. Exactly. And so it's like, okay, so how much are they willing to help? And, you know, some ISC tracks definitely just, hey, whatever we can do, and it's wonderful. Um, and well, I mean, compare that to a to a, a, a Speedway Motorsports track that Bruton Smith uh, uh, owns. I mean, obviously he's in it for himself. He owns... He owns uh, Sonoma, uh, IndyCar, and NASCAR venue. He owns Texas. I mean, compare compare what you think, and I mean, you might want to look and delve into it. What's the difference? Does 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 SMI throw more at their at their IndyCar uh, races than than IS? I mean, I think you don't have to look much further than Texas a couple of years ago whenever they had the big rain out and then they had to come back in August and there was just that whole mess of things. And what Eddie Gossage did, you know, he did his damnedest to try to make a discount for the fans to ensure that there was that we had fans in the grandstands cheer on guys like, you know, to like Elio and Don and Dixon and guys like that and power. So, um, but look, both at the end of the day, both entities do their best to help out. I just, all I'm saying is, is that, you know, it's sometimes it's tough whenever you have one entity that's really closely tied with NASCAR and their best interest is NASCAR. And I mean, keep in mind how close the Phoenix race is to the March NASCAR race. The fans have already spent the money for the, the March NASCAR race. They don't have, they didn't think they have to spend it again until November, but here they are a month later and it's like, okay, we'll get out the pocketbook, you know, get out the checkbook if anybody still has checkbooks, and you know, go and go from there. So they're they're in some ways, and there's not a better date for Phoenix in some cases, unless you're trying to do it in, in late September, and it's still 100 degrees. So it's a tough territory to try to market. But that April date's always been Indy cars, um, and so yeah, I mean, it just makes things a little bit tough uh, to try to promote because it's also tough on the track because you've got NASCAR the prior, and then you're turning right around like you can't throw billboards three weeks before the race and expect it to catch fire. So it's a difficult spot to be in, even from a track promoter's perspective. So now, Chris, you're a keen observer of IndyCar, so I'd like to get some of your thoughts here because you've been, you've been kind of quiet there and uh, we've not been able to bring you into the conversation. So, Chris, let's talk about this Phoenix race, what your thoughts were on it, um, and what we can do to you know keep this – track that's been hosting open wheel racing since 1964 on the schedule well i was talking with another writer and he said that one thing that is some dirt races dirt, dirt tracks too is that they put cones up on the bottom side of the track and say you can only practice on the high side and that's where i told joey about that it's like you know it's a good idea to probably indicate should probably do that and just have an open for coming in and out of the pits of course now when we look at uh the race there's one story that to me stands out and that's alexander rossi and how uh he was able to come from you know one i don't know if it was one or two laps that he was down but he was definitely down you know a lap at least and he made 53 on track you know he 53 passes and got all the way back to third place um just drove through the field and he credits his team for coming up with the extended tire life on his cars on his car that's how he was able to get around a lot of people um so people say you can't pass. Well, you, you can pass if you have your, your, the right setup. Um, but in my opinion, the track was better when it, when the banking was definitely a lot flatter um, before they definitely uh, changed up the configuration of the track. Um, 
But I also think that we need to give these guys an extra 100 or so horsepower because you need to have enough grunt to be able to accelerate to go faster down the straightaways. Here's my question for you about that cone thing that you're that you had mentioned, and I was thinking about it just now. Is when you when Indy cars get up in the gray, we know where they go. They go right to the wall, just like any race car. So you run into a situation where maybe you put those things right in that groove, and these right sides are hitting that gray, and they go up. and And even if they just continue to scrape the fence, you let that happen two or three times, people eventually aren't just going to go out there and run. So my question is, who writes that check for the crash damage? Because then you're running into a situation where, you know, a series is saying, hey, you can't run this. But, I mean, there's no there's no way to get around that safer, if that makes sense. Uh, I, my response would be that if, if the track is swept before any cars get on track, the gray is only going to be right outside the outside wall if you're already running on the outside because you're not running on the inside before you get to any practice. Um, and even then, guys can guys are showing they can run on the outside – through all the different turns. In fact, Newgarden, that's how Newgarden made his passes um, on the last restart. You can run on the outside. It's just a matter of not gunning it so hard. So in my opinion, that wouldn't be much of an issue. Until your car hits the wall. <laughs> so, um, I, But anyway, I mean, you know, there's it's going to take a while to rebuild um, oval track racing in IndyCar. Uh, you know, and it, it goes back to the split. The split was designed to enhance oval track racing in the States and give the oval track racers a a chance. But um, if anything, the split really destroyed oval track racing. And it's, it's, it's only been the um, outside of Indianapolis and uh, other places uh, like Michigan who had you know held successful events that are no longer on schedule. Um, so it's just, it's good. It's going to take some time. They need to keep, you know, doing the course they're following. Uh, the new car, the package is great. Um, by some accounts, the, um, I was reading a thing that, uh, Graham Rahal wrote today that he, uh, thinks that that package is going to be phenomenal at Long Beach. It's going to be so fast on the straights and so nimble in the corners that, uh, when we get to Long Beach, you're going to see, a heck of a race. So, with that being said, we're off Long Beach next time. Who wants to make a pick for Long Beach, Seth? Uh, Robert Wickens. <laughs> you, st- you stole mine. <laughs> Gray? Gray, you got a pick for Long Beach? Apparently not. <laughs> okay. Uh, Richard, Richard, I'll, Richard, sorry, I'll give you... <coughs> Willpower. I'm sorry. No. Uh, Will, Willpower for Gray. Okay, Richard, who you like for Long Beach? Uh, I was going to say Will Power. Uh, Simon Pagenaud. Okay. All right. Chris? Rossi. Rossi. Okay. Joey? Well, I was going to pick Rossi. Thanks, Chris. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to pick Rossi. That's why I picked him. Well, I was going to pick Wiggins, so uh, Seth already picked it up for me, so. Um, man, uh, trying to think of, of who's left. Uh, Takuma Sato. Marco. Marco. Ryan Hunter Ray. Actually, I think uh, I'll, I'll go Graham on that one. I th- he was really fast. Three courses. He's been just ridiculous. So I'm going to go Graham. All right. Now I'll just go with uh, since you got left him for me. I'll go with uh, last year's winner, James Hinchcliffe, and um, see if he can repeat. You, en- you enjoy that loss, huh? 
Well, I would have picked Wiggins, so I actually I picked Wiggins in my pool. So, but, I, I uh, tell you this. What, but let, 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 let's before we move on to form one, let's talk about Wiggins for a second because man, this guy has uh, this Quickens. Quickens, yeah, Quickens, yeah, Quicken, and, and, and you're not even talking the um, you know the software crap. So, but uh, man, Wiggins was awesome at um, at uh, Homestead. And uh, we wouldn't have thought he'd been so good in the Oval, but he was right there in the mix. Homestead? Finished on the podium. Huh? You said Homestead. No, I yeah. said no, I said St. Petersburg. <laughs> sure. You, you heard Homestead because I was just, you know, <laughs> I, was just, I, was just, I, was just, I was just naming tracks in Florida. I, I could have said Daytona. Daytona, yep. Yep, yep. New Smyrna. Okay, so, Chris, Christopher, thank you for pointing out my – Discretion there, but Wiggins has been great in the first two IndyCar races, and um, Seth says Quick and Loan should sponsor Wiggins. But man, this guy is—I um, love to see how the rest of us. I can't wait to see how the rest of the season plays out. Yeah, you know what's surprising to me is with him and and with Hinch. Uh, I was telling Chris this uh, earlier. Is just I think it was telling Chris this earlier. Is just. It's surprising to me, everybody over the offseason was always talking about continuity, just how important it is we have all this continuity and and how crucial it is and how much it's going to help us improve. And you look at Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, and they pretty much just blew up all of their engineering staff and brought in all sorts of different pieces from a bunch of different teams. And um, it's fascinating to me to see them start out of the block so hot. So Lena Gade being over there, you know, I, I feel like she's made a huge difference in what they've been able to do. And I maybe at this stage, continuity is overrated when it comes to just, you know, knowing your stuff because clearly they've hit on something. And I think the other end of that is that you don't have two drivers that probably have such different fields in race cars like maybe Hinch and Mikhail had, uh, Mikhail Lation had last year versus, you know, Robert and, and James, they've been friends for a long time, probably have better feedback that that's common with each other. So the chance to actually hit on the setup that works uh, is definitely greater for both of them. And I just think that that's, I mean, it's good to see because it's, you know, it's, they haven't really been this strong. You could argue since, even though they've had flashes with James, they haven't been this strong consistently since maybe Simon Pagano's there. You're absolutely right. Yeah. But we've got about six minutes left to talk about formula one. So Richard formula one in Bahrain, Sebastian Vettel won the race. What else was going on there? Yeah, it's, it's quite impressive, really, to see. Uh, you know, that definitely Ferrari took it to Mercedes this last weekend in, in Bahrain and, and had the quicker car, which was unusual. I think everybody expected to see Mercedes carry that domination on from uh, from what they showed in uh, in Australia. So it was great for the sport to see that turnaround. Um, you know, quite a few uh, notable events there, I think, this weekend. Uh, uh, Toro Rosso scoring points um, was fantastic for the uh, for the sport there. The Honda engine came to uh, came to the front and uh, was was shown to be competitive, more competitive than McLaren. Uh, <laughs> Sauber scoring points with Marcus Ericsson again, a fantastic achievement for everybody there. Another work hard and uh, you know they're, they're they're a smaller budgeted team, so fantastic for them to score points. Uh, Williams really struggling. Uh, McLaren struggled a little bit. Toro Rosso struggled. I mean, sorry, um, Force India struggled. Red Bull, well, what can you say about them? I mean, that was pretty... Uh, uh, Max Verstappen got caught up with Lewis Hamilton early there in the race. 
and had uh, got damage to his car. And then uh, within two laps, uh, Danny Ricciardo and Max Verstappen both retired from the race with uh, technical issues. So uh, it was a uh, you know an interesting race. Again, you know, you, you, you look at uh, you know, Mercedes losing a race they probably should have won on pace uh, due to tactical mistakes, and uh, it's quite ironic how. Uh, you know, Mercedes do this big thing about how good they are tactically, and uh, yeah, they, they're made to look at, being made to look a little bit amateurish uh, two races in a row by uh, by Ferrari. Yeah, the yeah. race got really really compelling there at the end with uh, Vettel on on old tires and Botas running him down. Uh, it, it, that was that made it made it very interesting there for at least the last ten laps or so because Vettel's tires were shot. Yeah, it's a little bit of an anticlimax, unfortunately, towards the end there. I don't think, uh, you know, Bottas really ever had anything that he could uh, really attack with, uh, you know, with the engine modes and, and having to protect the engine for so long. And yeah, the catching him one so thing, passing, passing Yeah, exactly. Another, and yeah. as you see in any any series, when you have technical changes and regulation changes, as the regulations mature, the... Um, you know, the teams get closer and closer, so, uh, you know, you, you're not going to see as much passing, as much overtaking. What's the next Formula One race? Uh, China this weekend, so uh, it'll be a pretty, uh, pretty fast turnaround for those guys. It'll be interesting uh, to see There's a couple of big, long straights there, so uh, see if Mercedes can uh, maybe, uh, you know, stretch their engine a little bit and uh, assert a little bit of their domination. But again, you'd, you'd, you'd have thought you'd have seen that at Bahrain a little bit, but, uh, but you didn't, so... Uh, yeah, could be an interesting, uh, interesting weekend again. Yeah. and well, just real quick, I just, I, just, I want to hand it to the uh, the Honda engine and the um, yeah, and the uh, Toro Rosso team. You know, uh, Hartley and uh, Gasly, both are, both of them in the mix there. You know, and Joe's telling yeah. me, you know, Pierre Gasly, who's um, he's got a name that's perfect for uh, the wacky races from the nineteen eighties cartoon <laughs> series, and uh, Brandon Hartley. Um, both of them did well, you know, Gassi had the new parts, Hartley had the old parts, but, uh, man, we, we had speculated that maybe Haas was going to be the next, uh, the, the next team up on the leg after the, after the top ones, but, um, man, that's a Honda, be, uh, Honda in the back of the, uh, Toro Rosso car. Wow. I mean, it would be interesting to see if, if Honda, if Toro Rosso keep up this performance and keep, you know, mixing there with the big boys and if. Red Bull keep having their issues that they had with like they had with Renault at uh, at Bahrain. Uh, you know, if that jump for Red Bull next year to, uh, to to Honda takes place, the interesting thing was Red Bull were the only Renault team to suffer issues. Were they doing something different compared to all the other uh, Renault powered teams? You have to wonder what was going on there. All right, well we got about a minute left in the show, so let's do some picks for China and. Uh... Gray, because you watch from one all the time, I'll give you the first pick. Well, uh, you know, I think I think Mercedes is probably going to uh, bounce back, uh, and I guess the, the the logical pick would be Hamilton. And Seth, because you're a big Formula One guy as well, I'm gonna give you the second pick. Uh, right in if he doesn't take out his crew member. Okay. Yep. <laughs> all right. Um, Chris? Vettel. Joey? Uh, I don't like doing this because if there's usually an issue in the first race of a back-to-back, the second usually also has an issue, but I'm going to say Ricardo. Okay, all right. Now, Richard? Uh, I haven't checked the weather forecast this weekend, but if it rains, I'm going to go with Alonso. 
just to spice it up a little bit. Okay, so you guys have left me Valtteri Botas, so I'll go with Valtteri. And um, guys, we are right at the, right at the end of our time, so I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network for hosting us. I want to thank iHeartRadio. I want to thank Spreaker. I want to thank you, Gray Warren, Christopher DeHardy, Joey Barnes, Richard Eden, Seth Egert, Seth Eggert, for coming on with me. And uh, to you fans that listen, we appreciate you a ton, and we'll talk to you next week. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 